This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. This morning, we talked about slaves being set free in Asia, and I want to share with you some stories of what you've been doing of setting slaves free here in America. I'm specifically talking about people who are slaves to addiction, alcohol, drugs, through an organization called Place of Hope. Uh, My wife and I have had the privilege of working with Mike and Bev Koop for getting close to 20 years now, and we have seen thousands of people walk in in the chains and bondage of addiction, walk out free. They've walked from Romans 7, why do I do the things I don't want to do, to Romans 8, life by the spirit and freedom of that. So would you welcome Mike Koop with me this morning? Mike uh, himself is a uh, recovered, free alcoholic yourself. You were a professional drunk for a good long time. (laughs) Do we still call them drunks? I don't know what the political correct thing is for that. You know, addict is such a globally encompassing term, and alcoholic is somebody addicted to alcohol, so... Well, we still call the RV that you guys have the druggy buggy, right? Have Isn't the druggy buggy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they take... We've even got a 23-passenger druggy buggy. That's right, the new druggy yeah, buggy. Yeah. Yeah, we've, <laughs> the druggy buggy was what they would go downtown with to uh, meet folks who were in the streets who were racked with addiction and uh, get them to Nashville Recovery Church. And if they were ready, then they would bring them to Place of Hope to find freedom. Because Place of Hope doesn't charge. Uh, there is no fee for their services. They do not take insurance. Because in, uh, in, in the world, many people can't afford insurance, don't have insurance, don't have money. And so this is a place where if you've, it's like the A-team of addiction. If you've got a problem and you can find them, maybe you can hire the A-team uh, for free. So, so Mike, tell us this at least. You've been, how long have you been sober? Like how long ago did your story of alcoholism begin? Uh, January 18, 1976. I, I quit drinking and... God supernaturally took away my desire to drink and use. So, almost 46 years. 46 years. That's almost a half of a century. What a miracle that was for me. Still is each day of my life. Yeah, I mean, how did it happen? I mean, 76. It's actually, honestly, in the 70s, it's amazing that it was just alcohol. Yeah. Right? Well, you were yeah. in Kansas City, right? I mean, yeah, well, alcohol was reliable, it worked, and you didn't have to wait for a drug dealer to show up. That's so. fair. You can get that from the corner <laughs> yeah. store. But, but it worked for me. It changed how I felt. And that's the essence of addiction right there. Addicts are addicted to changing their feelings, and substances do that. Yeah. So they don't like how they feel, which is, we've actually been in that. In Romans mm. 7, it's amazing how the biblical language actually is biblical language that's around addiction. You know, the, uh, it talks about the epith- uh, evil desires, which is epithumia, which is the desires of your heart that you want to medicate those, and I don't want to feel that pain anymore, carried away by those. And you end up in Romans 7 with, why do I do the things I don't want to do? Yeah, and then it says when those desires are conceived, meaning we cross the line and do something we shouldn't do or not do something we should, like you were talking about yeah. Paul saying, 
it says it gives birth to sin and then sin when it's full grown hmm. brings death, which is a stronghold, which is the essence. That's the anatomy of addiction right there. Yeah, yeah so actually unpack that because that's a, when, when, when it's conceived. Okay, this literally language that Paul, we all recognize that there was this idea that when it was not impregnated, it wasn't going to hurt you, but you've, like, what is the conception process that that looks like? Well, if you look at Matthew 4, a lot of people think temptation is sin, and it's not. It's the idea, it's the thought of sin. It's the idea or thought of doing something you shouldn't do or not doing. And we're all susceptible to that as proven by Jesus himself. And he goes from his baptismal experience in Matthew chapter 3, and the very first sentence, the very first verse of Matthew chapter 4, it says, Jesus, being full of the Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And then he goes through this temptation experience and demonstrates three consecutive times by doing the same thing, resisting the devil. And as James says, he fled, he left him. Hmm. So what does that look like in our daily life? Like if you've, the, the temptation is there, is the conception just the giving in and the acting on the sin? I'm 13 years old and I'm, I'm an athlete and on the way to becoming a world-class athlete, sports are the most important thing in my life. As a matter of fact, it had become my idol, and I, I didn't know that. But I'm walking home from school one day, and my two closest friends on the way home offered me a cigarette. And it was the defining moment in our relationship. I was either going to smoke with them and continue to have the closeness of friendship, or I was gonna say no, and things between us would never be the same. And I, in weakness, I gave in, crossed that line, smoked that cigarette. Within a year, I'm drinking, I'm doing other drugs, and I'm into a whole lot of things I should have never got into. But at age 23, again, the Lord delivered and set me free. Wow. And so many people have experienced that where they've brought the sin, the conception in its full grown, and it's Romans 7. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? Exactly. And so that is what Place of Hope was born out of, which was 20 years ago, is that what we decided? Well, 20, 20, I, it'll be 22 years, 22. April 20th, that we took in our first resident. Wow. Wow. And when you guys first did that, I mean, tell me the conception story of that, because... I mean, starting, I mean, starting a rehab center, which didn't take money, that was going to like rely on donations, um, is crazy. Well, I've been doing this 40 years now professionally. And it, 30 years ago, started an alcohol and drug treatment program and a psychiatric unit at Murray Regional Hospital in Columbia. And we were in there for 10 years. And they came to us and said, hey, y'all have done good, but we can make more money using these beds to do something else. So we're going to give you a year to find a place for you to go do that. Well, that created a crisis for us. Now, the three things that I didn't like about the relationship down there 
And this is, I'm not saying anything about the people that were there. They were nice people. But <clears throat> they told us we don't want anybody from jail. And as a matter of fact, they put it this way. We don't want that kind here at the hospital. Yeah. Number two, they said, we aren't gonna take in anybody that doesn't have money or insurance. And then three, we, we don't want you mentioning Jesus in here because we're worried about our church and state issues. Hmm. So when we got that mandate that you're gonna have to leave in a year, it left us praying about what God wanted us to do. And hearing from God, I felt God tell me to turn everything we were doing into a nonprofit ministry that he wanted a place where Jesus could be lifted up because Jesus is the answer. Now, I'm the first one to subscribe to the 12 steps of recovery because they've set me free from addiction, but it was Jesus Christ who became Lord and Savior of my life who gave me the power that I didn't have to live life a day at a time without substances. And this is what every alcoholic addict or anybody else addicted to anything else, if you will put these principles into practice in your life, you too can share those same results. Yeah, when you talk about the higher power, which uh, AA is, is established, the little black book, and and, and now in a modern context, because we're so much more progressed, you know, and anything can be the, I guess anything can be the higher power. The cattle across the street is the higher power. But, but if, if you're actually putting your trust in a higher power that doesn't exist, um, it's a fool's errand. Yeah, exactly. Well, I grew up Roman Catholic, and uh, as soon as I crossed that line that I talked about, I immediately abandoned my faith because I couldn't live with my own hypocrisy of doing what I had done and deciding to continue to live that way and then pretend like I was doing something else. So, so I quit that. And then when I came to AA and I heard people talking about how you had to find God before you could get sober, and I'm thinking, they, these people really think God's gonna come down from way out there somewhere and keep you from drinking and using? This ought to be really good. I think I'm going to come back so I can see why this won't work for me. <laughs> and and uh, it, it, it worked. <laughs> it, it worked. But <clears throat> um, for seven years, I, I did this sober thing without Jesus. And where it took me, was into secular humanism and the new age. And, and let me warn you, these are very powerful belief systems. There's power in those things. I got everything I thought if I could ever get, it would make me happy. And I mean everything. I could go anywhere, do anything I wanted to do, and I was more miserable than I had ever been in my whole life. And I didn't have alcohol and drugs to blame it on. I hadn't had a drink or a drug in seven years. Hmm. And this is the point when Jesus came to me. I was accidentally watching the 700 Club one night. <laughs> no, when I, when, when I say accidentally, this is, most of you here may not remember, there were days when there were no clickers. 
which, which meant you had to actually get up, walk across the room to change the channels on a television set. Yeah. I know you can't believe that, but it's true. Yeah. But, but also, there were only six channels. There was ABC, CBS, NBC, ESPN, MTV, and of course CNN. And Pat, Pat Robertson happened to be on one of those six channels this night. And I heard a man give a testimony, not describing his life like mine had been, but saying he had gotten to that place in life where he had everything he'd ever wanted and he was more miserable than he'd ever been. And he decided to become a Christian and invite Jesus to come in to his life as Lord and Savior. So I'm sitting there, Pat says, now you out there in TV land, you too, just like Joe Bob did, you can pray that prayer. And so I thought to myself, what have I got to lose? I can pray this prayer. Maybe something will change and get different. If not, I'll just be as miserable as I've been. So I prayed the prayer. And my life's been different ever since. You know what I did? I took the power of Jesus Christ and went back to that 12-step process and worked those 12 steps. And I got delivered from everything. Not just the alcohol and drugs, but everything. And I've never been the same since. But more importantly, it totally and completely changed the way that I do treatment. Yeah. And Jesus, with the 12 steps, and then with the power of the Holy Spirit, focusing on the changes necessary to create a new lifestyle. And this started in Colombia. So I don't know if you guys know this, especially uh, if you're from, like, especially from California and you just moved here. Um, and remember, welcome to the free state of Tennessee. We are glad you are here. Happy to have you. Praise him in the sanctuary. We, um, Columbia didn't used to be cool. Y'all doing your, your, your searches for five acres uh, in Murray County, you know, with farms. Like that. We used to wrinkle our nose at that. And, and in the middle of the uncool Columbia, which was super sketch, was this nursing home that was basically abandoned, run down, for sure haunted. And you laugh, but there's, it's attached to it, like an antebellum home, Civil War areas. I don't know what's wandering around in there, but, you know. Um, and for, you know, you, you drove up, I drove up to something like that and I think, well, that's a disaster. We need to bulldoze that. And you drove up to that and you think, well, this would be the perfect place. Uh, no air conditioning in most of the building. This is, this is Tennessee, August. It's like a sauna in there you talk about like, you know, those hot houses out in Arizona in the desert where they're you know, doing whatever they're doing. You got one right in your bedroom there. Um, that was where it started, but it started with just you. And that was kind of it. Like, how did you do it? Like, what was it like in those early, early days? Well, it, if it was just me, I couldn't have done it. But I happened to be married to somebody named okay. Bev. That's fair. And <laughs> the brains and the looks behind yeah. this organization. And, and I, yeah. Well, but I had to go home one night and, and tell Bev, hey, hey, Bev, I, I heard from God today. And he said, to <laughs> take everything we're doing and turn it into a nonprofit ministry. And, and she didn't even blink. Yeah, it's a woman of faith. She, okay, she said okay, and and so it went from there. God 
made this facility available to us. It's 42,000 square feet. It's sitting on seven acres right in downtown Columbia, Tennessee. And in 1993, when the person who gave it to us bought it, it was valued in the appraisal by Gulf Western at $3.4 million in 93. Well, we got access to the building, which, which is miraculous, but too detailed to tell in the time we've got left. But we got use of the facility, and, but it took us a year and a half just to get it open. We've, it was important to us that we had state licensure. We, we don't take insurance, but we do everything, and I mean by the book, mm -hmm. just like these for-profit or the highest quality treatment centers do. And, and the state comes in, they audit our finances, they look at our life safety of our building, and they look at our client records to make sure that we're doing that. So we had the challenge of getting that facility up to those kind of standards, and it took us a year and a half. And we're throwing money at it and, and just no end in sight. But finally, on April 20th, 2000, we were able to open the doors, taking our first resident. But like we were saying, no heat and air in that place. And the last year the nursing home was in there, it, they were paying $10,000 a month for gas, water, and electricity. And that was before they did anything else. So. We, we had those kind of issues that we had to overcome. I, I was the only staff that we had until I, I hired a person who, who was sober about a week and, <laughs> and had recently escaped the mafia in Kansas City. And Sold. so uh, we, we had to have our residents watch him watch them. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine what it would have felt like with you in a van full of uh, alcoholics and, and drug addicts pulling up to like the Piggly Wiggly. Well, that, that was better, but it was even worse going to Nashville to meet with the state because... Oh, you had to take I, them there too? Yeah, I'd pull up out. <laughs> but we'd have to strategically park it close to a window where I could look out and make sure it was still there. <laughs> And again, they were watching the guy, so. I remember, I think we wandered in there 18 years ago or so. We had a family member who was struggling with, with addiction and we were, had met you at a church here in town and God, I mean, back then I was just a, a rock and roll manager trying to keep my family alive and, uh, and we had met you at a local church. And, and I remember walking in the first time and thinking, um, I can't believe this place hasn't been condemned. Like, it, it was, it, it had all of the charm of a nursing home built in the 1950s. Like, this could have easily have been a Stephen King movie or a Jack Nicholson with a hatchet cutting through the door, you know. Um, yeah, yeah it, it was pretty bad. But in the middle of that, God was doing amazing things. People were getting free. Like, people were literally coming there with no hope, no money, no nothing, and walking out free. See, the miracle of recovery is, is deliverance. And, and it's not the absence of alcohol and drugs. 
It's having the Holy Spirit of God take away the desire to drink and use. And that's what happens. So it's literally, when you see that happen for an alcoholic or an addict, it's like watching Lazarus come up out of a grave. And not only for me to bear witness to it, but the families that they come from and to see their dad or their mom or their husband or wife or grandchild have that experience, what it does for their faith. It's like this mama here watching her son get baptized and seeing the joy all over her. But what I was watching, I was watching those three other boys this morning because they were watching their brother. Guess mm. what will happen one of these days? So, so that's, that's the power of one person getting right with God, the ripple effect. And so it's been a couple of decades now, okay? Thousands of people have found freedom, drugs and alcohol. Is there like a person that stands out to you? Is there, I mean, look, there's so many stories. I could think of 10 right off the top of my head, but is there a story or a person that stands out to you as like an example of like that this is what God has done and can do for others? You know, this morning you were showing the, uh, the slaves being, being set free. And a, a guy came to me 18 years ago. His name's Donald. And Donald was the second twin to be born. And his mother didn't even know she was pregnant with twins. The first child came out and they were congratulating, high-fiving like people do. And all of a sudden she had turmoil in her womb and, and out came another baby with the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. And he'd been oxygen starved for who knows how long. And he was born with cerebral palsy. He was a, they were the only two children in that home. And he grew up watching his brother become everything he couldn't be. And some way, somehow, he struggled to go out to the Middle Tennessee State University and enter that music school out there to become an audio engineer. And not one person, not one studio would hire him because of the way he looked and the way he talked and the way he walked sideways. Well, while he was out there at MTSU experiencing a lifetime of rejection, he began to drink and use drugs. Came to me 18 years ago. And it took Donald five times coming to the place of hope and 11 years to get one year of sobriety. But because of the grace of God and his delivering power, if he makes it till New Year's Eve, Donald will have seven years of sobriety. Amen. And that's just one out of those thousands. Yeah. Yeah, it's remarkable. I've seen it. I know my wife has seen it. My wife has worked there way more than I have. Um, let me ask you this question. Because Tell them about the remodel that Conduit did. Yeah, we probably should say that. We, um, <laughs> so at some point you look at think, okay, I can make fun of how haunted or, or creepy this place looks. Or, or we could do something about it. And, you know, we're Conduit, we're kind of, let's do something about it, people. And... 
uh, through some radical generosity of uh, close to a half a million dollars when it was all said and done, um, we went in, and I say we, I mean Shannon, went in and completely remodeled the interior of the... What we wanted it to look like was that the quality of the treatment and the quality of the building didn't match. Like, quality of the treatment's way up here. Quality of the building is way down here. And so Mike has got to spend a few days just trying to earn the trust of people who've wandered in there that it's good. And especially if you've been in, a, uh, in, a, you've been in prison, if you've been homeless, you might think that's what I deserve, right? Is this old bed and this old, you know, pink toilets, because apparently pink toilets at some point in the nursing home industry was a hot thing. Um, 50s, it was a 50s, 50s thing. Yeah. Then the avocado green. Oh, yeah. yeah. Pleasant odor that was. And we... Um, and Shannon just literally <laughs> willed this into existence to a place now when you walk in and you just feel the peace of God. Design is spiritual. You know, when you walk in here, you sort of feel like, oh, this feels like a home. This doesn't feel so much like a church. There's a way that that can happen that's spiritual. And so uh, the span of a half a million dollars, and, and by the way, she got at least 1.5 million out of one, a half a million. Like she was, I mean, just wrung it out. And uh, and now when you walk in, not only does there air conditioning, not only is there heat, there is a beautiful atmosphere and someone walks into a beautiful room with beautiful furnishings and feel loved and feel safe and feel peaceful for the first time and maybe their whole lives. And so we did that how many years ago? Four years ago. And, uh, and if you go there now, you won't even recognize what it could have been before because it's just, it's just beautiful in there now. And now my question for you is, what uh, families right now, now I'm, there's probably two kinds of people in here. There's somebody right now here, somebody's struggling with addiction, whether it's addiction to alcohol or to, to drugs, addiction to pornography, addiction to food, addiction to approval. I just want, you know, there's a lot of versions of that of Romans 7 of why do I do the things I don't want to do. The core of most of those are the same. It's not what you're doing, it's why you're doing it, but what advice do you have for them? Well, it goes back to you're doing it because it changes how you feel and you're addicted to that feeling. And whatever you're doing is giving that feeling to you. Well, the evidence is, is not that you can quit anytime you want to because that's what keeps an addict using. It's, the problem is you can't stay quit. And the problem is a lack of power. And that's where the power of God has to come in and do for you what you can't do for yourself. The first thing you got to do is, is wave the white flag and admit you need help. Now, if you're struggling to try to figure out if you're an addict or not, let, let me make it real simple. It would take all day to explain what addiction is, but I can tell you what an addict is very simply. It's anybody whose use of substances or any of those other behaviors that Darren was talking about, and it's causing you trouble in your life, meaning it's harming you or somebody else, and in spite of that, you keep using. That's an addict. See, only an addict would do that normal person. It's harmful to them or somebody else. It's like recoiling from a hot stove. They aren't going to touch it anymore. The addict is going to think to themselves, hmm, I wonder if it's still hot and reach out. <laughs> and, Let me lick it and, this time. Yeah. yeah. So, so if you're an addict, you have two choices. You recover or you die from the addiction. 
90% of the people with addiction die from it. And that, that's stone cold hard truth right there. But um, if you get some help, and I would recommend a 12-step process with a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ as a beginning place. And now for the families who've got a son or a daughter or brother, a sister, a mom, dad, whatever. Like, what advice do you have for us? You've probably seen the reality TV show Intervention, and, and it's where a family or significant others of the alcoholic addict come and give them an ultimatum. I, I much prefer what I would call carefrontation, where out of a spirit of love for that person, and what that behavior is doing for you and the hurt and pain it's causing you to watch them do what they're doing, to share with them, to, to care about them so much that you're willing to risk relationship with them to tell them the truth in a kind and gentle way. But, but to offer them help and a solution when you do that. But before you do any of it, Pray. It's the most important yeah. thing. I remember you telling me once that one of the one differentiations between someone who makes it and doesn't, there's a common thread, and that is they've got a, somebody praying for them, a mama, a daddy, a grandma, or all of the above is praying for them. We can't discount the power of prayer. I personally believe that prayer is the most powerful thing a human being can do on this earth. It's not the last thing. It should be the first thing that we do. It's not like a last resort. It's like a first line of... Well, prayer is how we channel our faith to touch God. And when you touch God in prayer with faith, God responds to needs. Yeah. God doesn't respond to needs. He responds to faith. So you might just want to say that again. That was pretty good. <clears throat> Prayer is how we touch God with our faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But when you touch God with your faith in prayer, then God is moved to meet your need because God responds to faith and not needs. You know, we go through Romans 7 and it's, he asked the, at the end of that chapter, who is going to rescue me from this body of sin? And he says, you know, praise God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And it's uh, such a reminder for us that the sin is forgiven. It's, that's, that part's dealt with, with the, with the cross. It's dealt with with your, your relationship with God. But the consequences those are still there. The consequences of what happens to my family, the consequences of what happens to my children, they're still there. But, but we can know that it's not about God not loving us, right? We can still, like, we don't have to go to him with shame because we say this all the time. The gospel is not shame on you. It's shame off you. And that's why verse 1 of chapter 8 says, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. God looks on you and he doesn't see the shame, he just sees Jesus, he sees Christ, you clothed in Christ, and so that's where some of that power 
all of that power comes from is not trying to earn God's love and favor, but you're literally standing there as a child of God, Amen. whether you're in addiction or whatever sin. Well, and this is why Jesus wants us to make him not only Savior, but to make him Lord. Hmm. See, in an instant of time, the blood of Jesus washes sins away. And what's under the blood is not only forgiven, but it's forgotten. Now, there are wages to be paid for sin, yeah. consequences as a result. But the instant that you give God, Jesus, your will in your life and start living, doing what he wants you to do, you awaken spiritually and rise up out of that human nature that's condemned because of what you've done and the favor of God, the curse is reversed and the favor of God comes rushing in and begins that process of biblical regeneration from Genesis to Revelation of changing your bad into your good. Yeah. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. Like that's... That's preaching right there. I have two questions left in the time that we have here. Uh, one is, you and I, Bev, uh, Shannon, and maybe some in this room even, we were in Israel in February and March of 2020. And if you're doing the math, that is exactly when you thought it was. Um, and we were like, we could tell then even, our, our guide, she, man, she's a prophetic girl, that Lord, she, man, I know she'd been with Jesus. And... So we knew something was up, but I didn't know what was up. I mean, I'm, around, I'm walking around singing my Corona to the tomb of my Sharona because I didn't know. It didn't age well, but I, at the time it seemed. Um, but we get back and the world changed. And everything's supposed to shut down. We got to lock down. We got to isolate. We gotta, and I'm literally, I'm reading all of the prescriptions from, let's say, healthcare experts. And they were saying... Isolate, isolate, isolate. And anybody that has been around, anyone who has been racked with addiction, know that isolation is literally a fuse that you have just lit in their life. And one of the things that I admire, I mean, I admire you and Bev for so many reasons, but you all uh, put on your big boy britches and you kept open. You didn't ask people to postpone their crisis. You know, whenever other churches in town were shutting down even their NA or their AAs, and we kept it open. We were having an NA meeting here. We were like, come in, please. Um, but you all kept it open. What was behind that decision, and what have the results of it been in the last 18 months? Well, I, I wish Bev and I could say it's because we were good people, but we, we were doing it out of our obedience to the Lord. That's, that's why we're down there in that ministry, because he told us to do it. And, and so, so stopping that was not an option. So it became how do we do it and keep our staff and keep our residents healthy? And God bless you. I don't know anybody who has researched this as a civilian more than you have. And coupled with the fact that out of that universe of people out there talking like they know about the virus, you, you were the person I trusted. And, and you were scheming, plotting, strategizing, trying to figure out how to get around mandates and keep the church here going. And also these ministries alive because the work that's being done in Haiti, Uganda, all of those places, it's amazing. 
but it's dependent on this church here. This is who God has chosen uh, to use to be his conduit in, into those needs. So, amen. We, we saw the ripple effect of one family with the worldwide global outreach of what this church is doing. It, you'll be in heaven way before you see what you did and the effect that it had in the world you were living in. But trust me, you'll see one of these days. So anyway, we kept going, Darren. You all came down there in March. You had church outside in our parking lot. That was and, the and you thinking outside of the box, hey, we're gonna make this work some way, somehow. Well, it, it empowered us. It, it strengthened and encouraged us as we were trying to figure out how do we keep this thing going. And, and we're going to have to do it outside the box. So, yeah. I remember us thinking, because I kept hearing from some of my friends, and I won't, there's no reason to name names or whatever, but you know, we're closing down because we love our neighbors. We're, we're masking up because we love our neighbors. And, and I'm thinking, but which neighbors? Because we have some addicts that are about to die if they get, can't get treatment, if we can't fund it. We've got people in you know, Asia that are going to not be set free. And at that point, we had Nepal, Uganda. People were literally starving in their homes. And when we would gather as a church, people would give to that. And we all know that you don't, it's not going to happen when we're not together. And I'm thinking, mm. we're doing this because we love our neighbors. So to make it a zero-sum game, I mean, it was a little frustrating for me because uh, you're, now you're making me pick a neighbor, you know? So we just thought, man, people are grown-ups. So they can make decisions based upon what they think is best for them. And what we're going to do is open the doors and say that, well, we, as for me and my house, well, we're, we're open and we're going to say to those who want to be here, be here. And we... Amen. Um, and I'm happy to report that, you know, that that, I mean, I, I wish I could say that um, I don't feel like it was courageous. It was just right. And... What we've experienced, it turns out that telling the truth in a world full of lies turns out to be an act of courage, and I didn't realize that and we were where we were. But, uh, but I, I say that because I'm so proud of you guys, because you were living in the day-to-day -day bubble of this, meaning bubble, meaning it's, and it is everything that is supposed to be a problem. You are inside, you have clients who live inside, and, and these are high-risk people with terrible, terrible health. But where else are they going to go? You guys could have easily shut it down and said, well, we're just going to be safe and keep Bev and me safe and keep it, especially in March, April, and May when, it, when nobody really knew. You guys could have, and you didn't, and I am so freaking proud of you, you. for what you guys did. I got one more question, which is this. Moving forward, we've seen God do amazing things. If there was one thing that you have in front of you right now that if it was funded that it would make a big difference and a big deal. And by the way, just so you know, as a church, we've, uh, through a couple of really radical, generous donors, we're gonna drop about six, seven grand on buying presents for all of the clients that live in Place of Hope and, and support staff as well. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, we try every year to do that. I'm a kid whose dad was addicted to painkillers when I was in fifth grade. I've seen what addiction can do and how it can steal Christmas from somebody. And so we're not going to let that happen to them. But, but for you, what is something that you've got in front of you right now that if it's fully funded that you could really, you feel like it'd make a big difference in, in what your future is? Darren, God told us years ago when he told us to start this, he said purpose to grow so we can help more people. 
And, and so he's given us a vision of what he wants us to do. And the other thing is, is I'm not going to be around forever. And I want to leave the place of hope better than it is now. And so one of the ways we can do that is, how many of you think God has given me some good info about addiction? Anybody here? <laughs> Amen. Well, it's all the Holy Spirit. Now, I've gone to school and I've gotten the licensure and, and to be a licensed counselor and to be a qualified clinical supervisor and all that. But, but that stuff the world gives you. What I've got is what the Spirit of God has given me, and this works. It works. So what we want to do is create a video curriculum where anybody in this world who's got an addiction problem can find help even if they don't have any money. We want to help people, Darren. And not have money. We, there's 35 beds. That means there's a waiting list all the time. So and by we, the have, way, we have people calling from all over the country wanting to get here. And it's not just people who don't have money. It's people, I mean, we've had country music stars, rock stars, politicians, people from every stratosphere of life, and they're all wanting to get in there. Some obviously want to come because it doesn't cost anything, but so many of them desperately want a Christ-centered program. Yeah. And there's none out there. There's not a state-licensed, Christ-centered 12-step program that's free anywhere else in this country in this country. And the reason is, is because it's kind of hard. <laughs> it's not easy to raise, I mean, I've been on the board 18 years, it's not easy. Um, it's miraculous. It's, yeah. It's gonna cost about $20,000 to get this up and running and online. And we've got uh, Zach Hendon and some really creative people that can get this together for him. And we wanna make this available. And I might add for Haitians and for Ugandans and. There are drunks in Uganda, and there are drunks in Haiti, and there are drunks all over the world. And so uh, we want to make that happen. And so uh, as you are leaving today, in the back, there are two uh, boxes where you, if, you, if you write checks, I guess people still write checks. Um, if you want to donate online, Conduit Church, there's a place of hope in the drop-down. Uh, I, I would love to go into 2022 with this fully funded so this vision can be fully realized for Place of Hope. So stand to your feet. I want to let you go and bless you. And we're going to pray for Mike and his family as they go. Heavenly Father, thank you for the, the courage, for the willingness, for the faith, the faith that's inspiring to all of us of Place of Hope. Lord, in this room, if there's anyone right now here that's even struggling and wondering, what do I do? Lord, would you give them the, the, the courage to, to take those first steps? Uh, for those of us in, in this room with family members, would you give us the courage? And Lord, for Place of Hope specifically for the ministry corporately, Lord, that you would continue to bless, to protect Psalm 91 all over this thing. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. You're dismissed.